Before we begin, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the class. I've personally taken a few of these classes, and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion, but wanting more. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. I'll see you there. I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Hello, everyone. Richard Olberger here from the Richard Listen Show, clinical psychologist, accepting your calls and help throughout the quarantine and throughout the situation we have escalating here in Los Angeles uh, during a time of tremendous conflict. Uh, today, our guest will be right on time, apropos a leader in both the sports and creative front. Uh, Mr. Jerome Davis is a six-time Olympian, uh, six-time world champion, rather. Uh, He is uh, former alumni USC, and he is also a father, a photographer, a spouse, uh, and someone who um, will speak to his truth on everything going on today as we hope to give voice to all the marginalized voices in the experience going on in our country in the wake of the loss of George Floyd last week in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It is my pleasure to share stories like this. Uh, As always, I'm thankful to our sponsors in Jitsu and Impact Dental Designs for making this happen. And thank you to all of you who've begun supporting our show through patreon.com slash richardlistens and who've been reaching out to me on Instagram at richardlistens.com. It is an honor, a privilege, and thank you all. Without further ado, Jerome Davis making time to be with us. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show, Jerome. Uh, We just got done reading off all your accomplishments and I'm glad we have video because we get to see uh, your shoe collection and your tribute to uh, Jackie Robinson there. Is that, is that the office or is that the, uh, the sneaker palace? Does anyone get to go in there? This this is, this is the boys room. (laughs) That's what I'm doing right now. We got one playing, the one that hurt his arm is playing a PS4 and the other one is in a swimming pool. So I snuck into their room to have this conversation. (laughs) This is quarantine live, right? Like anywhere you can get it. (laughs) 100%. That's how I've become. I'm no longer dad. They're like, you're just this traveling, booming voice. Yes, that is, that is correct. That's the way that you feel sometimes. So I, 
I mean, I, we're going to get into, uh, you know, your illustrious uh, track career and, and we've seen your YouTube clips on always having a plan B. Thank you for sharing that with us. And that can be uh, apropos at a time like this. What's it like being a, a sports dad, though, during uh, a pandemic? I mean, that could be a feature all in itself. Yeah, it's one of those things that you, I guess I've been kind of preparing for because I I realized early on that you can't just be gifted at one thing, especially when you start, when you become a father. And I know that so many households and relationships have been tested during this time. And for me, it's actually been a time for us to get closer as a family. And especially with my boys being super athletes and me being able to spend more time with training them and giving them things that I learned as a as an athlete growing up and not having to rip and run across the city. And that's been like the biggest blessing ever of like not having to get home from practice, eat a little bit, take you to training, sit at training for an hour and a half, then come back home, then you got homework, then you got to eat. And it's just like, this has been a great reprieve for us. And so I, I can't say I'm grateful for the pandemic and people losing their lives and getting sick, but I am grateful that I've been able to actually spend a devoted amount of whether it's 75 days or 85 days, just every day with my kids since been has been remarkable. How has the training shifted as a sports parent with all the knowledge you have? Uh, is there more recovery going in? Have you been able to target things that maybe you, you wouldn't have been if you were fully in season? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that I learned early on as an athlete is you kind of work on your, <clears throat> you really want to work on your weaknesses. And so when I look at both of my boys, they have certain weaknesses that they don't ever really get to address. They just kind of are able to get by because they're super athletic and super talented and it's kind of gets masked. And especially when you have uh, practice all the time with your team, you know, you don't ever really get to focus on those certain things to help develop. And one of the things for my older son, who, who will be 14 this month, is his fitness. His fitness has never been something that he likes to do. It's something that it just happens by default because he plays a, a sport called soccer and you got to run a lot. But miles, yeah. Yeah, if you ever look at the pros or you ever look at guys in college or anything else, they actually devote time, training, and running. And so that's one of the things that I've been able to pour into him is, you know, he actually just broke his elbow a couple of days ago and had surgery on Friday. And so before that, I was taking him out running. We were doing, whether it's repeat hills or, you know, just all the stuff that he really would have never been able to do because practice didn't allow for him to, pour that type of focus into his, into what I think could make him the best soccer player that he could possibly be. Now, I mean, I'm a basketball player and I got three kids who are drawn towards soccer. Is that just the trend of America (laughs) or am I doing something wrong? I mean, you know, how, how do you keep your kids interested, right? Both you and your, your wife, high performers, uh, to, to the greatest degrees in, in business and life and sport. Is there a fear of pushing them too hard? I mean, do they gravitate towards it naturally or is, is each kid different? I mean, each kid is different. And I, I would say that I didn't really want him to run track. Track gave me a great living and it allowed me to travel the world. And, but that's really about it. There's nothing else set up for you as a track athlete, just 
And I was like, you know what? Maybe you should do something different. And I love basketball. That was my first love. And the only reason why I didn't go into basketball was because I was at a really small school where I grew up at in the high desert. And I did not have the exposure that other kids have or would have had. So I was good enough to actually play against Paul Pierce in the second round of CIF. And we ended up losing to Inglewood High. But I, had, I averaged 18 points. I love basketball. I was really, really good. And when I got into track, it was just one of those things that I was like, wow, this is cool. But I always kind of kept that little chip on my shoulder that I knew that I was going to work harder than everybody else all the time and whatever I did. And so when my son got introduced, I put him in basketball and he was like, oh, so-so. I mean, he wasn't great, but he wasn't terrible. And I was like, okay, we'll see. But when we put him in soccer, his mom's like, oh, let's have him go play soccer because she played soccer in high school. And she'll tell you she scored 51 goals her junior year. <laughs> I remember that because I've heard it over and over again. And we put him in soccer. And I, the first thing I thought to myself was, this guy is awful. He was so bad at four years old. I was like, there's no way he can do this. This, is, this looks terrible. At that age, they all move as a herd anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it, no, he was just bad. He just, it just didn't look right. I'm like, gosh, was, and, and we kept going to the trainings. We kept going to the trainings. I'm like, babe, are you sure this is bad? And then he and I are arguing. I'm like, hey, kick it with this foot. Kick it with, kick it with your right foot. This is how you need to kick it. And, you know, I never played soccer, so what did I know? And he's like, no, Dad, it feels better this way. It felt better with his left foot. He's like, no, it feels more natural with my with this foot. I was like, no, kick it with your right foot. And so we're going back and forth. And lo and behold, now he's like a speedster and he's got a phenomenal left foot that I'm glad he didn't listen to me on <laughs> what to do. So. He, he learned to hold his own. They always say that the car ride home, that's where <laughs> athletes are shaped or <laughs> they give up for good. Totally, 100%. Well, that's tremendous now. So, and obviously like how, you know, how much do they know about, you know, your careers? They ask questions all the time. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, at a certain age, is it like, you know, they see behind the curtain and, uh, you know, they know they, they, they want to know more about your journey all the way through USC to abroad uh, to, to representing your country. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to, not drive it home too hard, but I let him know that he comes from a line of professional athletes. So it's not that you have to be as good as me or even better than me, but you need to work hard for, if you want to get the most out of yourself, you don't want to look back at your life and be disappointed that you didn't give it your all every chance you got to go out there and represent yourself. I said, there's, there's something about waking up every day, putting on your shoes and trying and giving effort. And then there's something about being focused, being committed and going out and giving it your best. And when you walk off of that field and you say, I did all that I could do and you can be satisfied with the results. And if you can't be satisfied with the results because you didn't give it your all, that's an issue. And that's, that's really been my whole thing with my boys is that I don't 
I mean, yeah, I had a phenomenal career. I, I mean, I was able to travel the world. I mean, God blessed me and I worked extremely hard and met some really great people, still have friends to this day. But I, I want them to be committed to the process and what it takes to get there. Like just work hard, work as hard as you can. And you, you know, you just, you can't be lazy. If you're lazy, you get left behind. And I tell them, I say, you might think you're getting away because you're just more athletic than everybody. But I said, as you start to become 17, 18, 19, these big gaps that you were start to kind of close up. And what do you have then? If you cut corners at an early age, chances are you're going to get left behind when you get older because there's going to be someone who's not as good as you now but it's going to continue to work and work and work and work and improve and improve and improve. And the next thing you know, they are light years ahead of where you are. And I said, I had that happen. I mean, I remember when I was a young kid going to the junior Olympics, I think in the seventh or eighth grade, and there was this young kid who used to beat everybody. I mean, he ran circles around us. It was like, Oh my gosh, this guy was so fast, so fast. Fast forward three years later, I'm at USC, he's at uh, Texas Tech University. The roles had reversed. I was running circles around him and he just couldn't figure out what happened. I, I hit my growth spurt. I like went from when we raced probably five, four, five, five, to then all of a sudden I was uh, six feet, six two. It's like, oh, so. <laughs> Covered some more distance. <laughs> totally. Well, you, you know, you speak to legacy and, and certainly, you know, this awareness, right, that you always want to be improving an awareness that there's always out there, someone out there working hard, you know, and that's kind of one of the marks of excellence. Uh, where did you get that instilled within your DNA as an athlete? You know? I mean, I think where I got it from is my mom and dad, especially my dad. My mom and dad are both from the South. They're from Alabama. Uh, my dad was raised on a farm. My mom was more of a city girl, but my dad, it was just like, you wake up in the morning, you got to do your chores before you go to school. And chores consisted of feeding the cows, feeding the pigs, feed, you know, you had to do everything around the house. And there was, there was nine of them. So it was like, you didn't have time to talk back. You didn't have time, like you were born into this family and you learned how to work. And so what I saw from him every morning, waking up, he'd knock out, I think he's like 100 push-ups every day. He would, uh, he'd go to work, he'd come home, he had his little side hustle. He was actually a boiler equipment mechanic. And you probably don't know what that is, but that meant that he worked on um, air conditionings, air conditioners and heaters. And I grew up in the high desert out by Palmdale, Lancaster. So we'd be going around in the high desert or in the hot sun. And he'd have me handing him stuff on top of the roof. And then all of a sudden he'd have me up there on the roof with him. And I'd be looking at all these things of the motor and all this stuff. I just wanted to be around my dad. So he helped instill in me like work hard. When you wake up in the morning, start your work, rest very little, lay your head down and be proud of what you did that day and take it day by day. So that's where I got it from. Amazing. My mom was the same way. 
And and when did you discover running as passion or just as a, as a skill? When, when when do you have that moment when somebody was like, you could do this? Or was it more of an internal joy where you were like, I like to run? I like to run as, as a little boy. But I think when I was in the third grade, we did, they had like these junior Olympic races at school. You know, they always have those little things. So I go out there and I run and I actually won. I won the like 50 yard dash or the hundred yard dash. And I was supposed to, this was a third grade and I was supposed to compete in the finals or supposed to go to the finals or something. And I couldn't do it because I think I got in trouble for throwing rocks or something. Something happened, something stupid. So I had detention and during this detention, the teacher gave me a bucket and said, go throughout the yard and pick up all the rocks. Mind you, I'm in third grade. You're going around picking up all these rocks. By the time you try to bring it back to them and say, here's all the rocks, it's too heavy. So that was a lesson that I had to learn. Like, don't ever throw rocks. But I knew that I was fast because I ended up, I would always race everybody at school. Like, hey, let's race, let's race. And I'd always win, so... That's the best thing as a kid, right? Just being like, I, I, my, my best friend to this day was like in a cold winter in New York. Let's go play one-on-one. You know, it's like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Quickest way to settle something. Exactly. Schoolyard, I mean, blacktop, totally, doesn't matter. Totally, 100%. That was me. At what point did you discover, I mean, to go to USC and to compete on that level NCAAs is one thing. At, at what point did you realize that, you know, this is something you could do and, and, and do it to represent your country on a bigger stage? I think it kind of found me. Like, I just ran. I, I ended up running uh, from my hometown, which is Ridgecrest, California. And then my dad would say, hey, there's these kids in Bakersfield that I think you should train with and run with. And they had a track club out of there. And he used to drive me over there, I think either two times a week or three times a week. And that's 99 miles away from my house. But what he wanted to do was he wanted to expose me to what was possible. So he knew if I got in an environment where I could actually blossom and grow, that I would actually blossom and grow because I had enough competitive drive that I hated to lose. And so we were such a, we only had five or six kids on our team, but we were so dominant. Like when we went to the USA Junior Olympic Nationals, we ended up placing second in the whole country in our four by one and four by four. We just had, we worked extremely hard and we were really good. And so that was kind of like the first exposure of the like aha moment. And the aha came because I was like, this is weird, but I still love basketball. And I was still, I think I was still playing football, but I was getting ready to make my transition from not playing football anymore and playing, still playing basketball. So I I was a three sport athlete. I was football, basketball, track. That's what I did. I used to play baseball too, but baseball started to be too slow. And I had a really like a bad news bears team that just, (laughs) that just dejected me from uh, (laughs) getting back out there. You're standing there watching people chase ball. That caused you too much boredom. I just couldn't do it. And so I think that that exposure helped me the first time. Then when I got to high school and I was playing basketball and then I would go and run track and I would go to these little invitationals and I'd actually kind of win or I do pretty well at these invitationals where the big schools down here in Los Angeles, everybody was competing and running. And I think what prepared me for that was when I went to the junior Olympics with those six guys where we ran against all these kids from all over the country. 
because I walked in there when I go to these invitationals here in Los Angeles, I had no fear. I had no, I wanted to win, but I was ready. I felt like I had already competed and done this at a higher level when I was even younger, like, let's go. And so, um, you know, my 10th grade year, I ended up getting fifth. Yeah, I think I got fifth. Or I made it to the state meet or the master's meet or something like that my 10th grade year, which is for Southern section pretty good. I know my junior year, I ended up getting fifth in the state in the 400 meters. And then my senior year, I ended up getting third. But what you start to realize is even when I got fifth, my junior year, I started getting all these letters, all these letters for all these schools wanted me to come to their school. I sat all these coaches talking to me like, hey, you know, you should come to our school. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And fortunately enough, I ended up at USC, which was probably the best decision for me. But I only went on one recruiting visit. The only other recruiting visit I went on was University of Arkansas. And the only reason why I went to Arkansas was because I wanted, because they won all the time. Ah. That was it. I didn't want to live in Arkansas. <laughs> I went to school in the South. It gets, it's not as fun as LA. Less distractions though. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm glad, but it ended up, it worked out for the best. What was the deciding factor on choosing USC? The coach came to my house at USC and my senior year in high school, my brother ended up getting, he was seven years older than me. So I was 17, he was 24. He ended up getting like a rare cancer and, and passed away at 24. Oh, and so, so for me, it was one of those turning points where I knew that I wanted to be close enough for my mom because, you know, that was her firstborn and everything. And that was really tough. And I was like, you know what? I, I can I can do this. I mean, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, it seems like it was glamorous because, you know, going to USC and I ended up winning the Pac-10 four years in a row in the 400 meters, which I don't know if anybody could ever do that. If they'd even stay in school long enough or be like, oh, I'm going to go pro. Um, but I had a great career there. So that my, my brother's passing helped make the decision for me to stay close to the home, to be here for my mom. That's incredible. The loyalty. Was she able to see your, most of your meets? Oh, yeah. They come down all the time because it's only like 130 miles away. So they come down all the time, which was great. And if I was in Arkansas, it would have been tough to get a plane ticket and, you know. It seems like everyone these days is trying new workout systems. Some people go to the gym. Others may run but I've recently discovered a great in-home method that is absolutely amazing. I'm taking in-jitsu classes online where I'm being trained and pushed in real time by top MMA fighters straight from the octagon. Injitsu.com provides real-time classes so you can get a top-notch workout from the comfort of your own home. These classes are absolutely going to sell out. So head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class for free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash Richard Listens. Protecting your child's teeth is important in any sport. That's why Impact Dental Designs has put so much thought into their state-of-the-art mouth guards, protecting athletes in youth sports all the way up to advanced MMA fighters and champions. And the best part is you can customize your own design for your own creative and fun mouth guard. So head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash Richard Listens 
And if you purchase now, you get a free customized design and 20% off your order. I know. All of a sudden takes a different meaning when my son starts talking about schools on the East Coast. In, in all seriousness, we'd be in remiss the time we're in, uh, you know, right now and what's going on in Los Angeles uh, and in our country. You know, how are you doing as a father and as an athlete and as a spokesperson, you know, for sport and black community with, you know, Ahmed Aubrey and then, you know, George Floyd. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel, you feel heartbroken. You feel, you have all these emotions and you try to be articulate and you try to be sensitive and you try to, like, you don't want to just start screaming, but sometimes you want to yell because you want to be heard and you want to explain your point. And, you know, I grew up in a small white town out it was like 25,000 people, but we were, we were a pretty tight community. And you know that there's differences in color, but I think where I grew up at is as a kid, we were always held responsible for our actions. And when you didn't act accordingly, there was consequences, whether it was your parents or whether it was somebody else. And one of the challenging things that you start to see with the way the system has been designed and set up is you almost have this like elitism or this above the law. And when you get to a certain level in or a certain, you're certain elite, then you don't have anybody to answer to. You don't have any rules to follow. You don't have the same thing that a regular citizen would have. And that's a problem. And so when you see this as a father, I always try to teach my boys that, don't get caught up in feeling ostracized or feeling like these people over here or that, that the color of their skin, like you can't do that. All people are human. I said, certain men come in to set rules to say that they are above people and, but they don't, they can't adhere to the rules. And I said, you have to understand that certain things were designed this way, but you know, I'm, I'm really frustrated because I want my kids to be able to have a better life, to be able to see that, you know what, even though you don't agree with certain people, there's, it's like being married. You don't always agree with your spouse. Not in the quarantine, especially. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't all, and, and it's, it's okay. It's okay not to agree. That doesn't mean that I love you any less, or it doesn't mean that I'm over you. And, you know, when slavery happened and once, and, and that's the thing, like, I think if people would really break it down basic and fundamental to their own life, if most people are in a relationship or most people who are doing this are married, if they try to own and kind of tell their partner what to do all the time and stand over them, like do this, do that, go here, go there they know that that's not going to end well for them. What ends up happening is you see what's out here in the streets, you start to have rebellion and you start to get a person that says, oh, you don't want to listen to anything or my feelings don't matter, then take this and deal with it. And so, yeah, it's all wrong. It's, it's wrong on so many levels. And, you know, we're praying that justice will be done. But, you know, there's just, Richard, there's just certain jobs that you just can't really get you can't allow your emotions to get involved in it. And you can't be a bad apple. You can't be an emotional bad apple at certain jobs. Like, could you imagine us getting on a plane right now with a bad apple pilot? Right. It's real clear that lives are at stake. 
Absolutely. So every day that you put your badge on, you, you, you say a prayer and you hope that you go out there and you protect and serve. But sometimes when you can't even have a conversation with your fellow man and they like a lot of this stuff could be de-escalated by just talking and communicating and it doesn't have to be so heightened. But I think that there's, there's going to be some changes in our nation or else it's just going to be anarchy for a very long time. You know, 2020, we all asked for, you know, 2020 vision. We wanted to be able to see clear. So many things have happened this year <laughs> that were just like, wow, can you take me to 2021? <laughs> right. I mean, not what I had planned for. I mean, but it does push forward change and progress. I mean, at some levels, uh, like we were joking about before we, we went online, you know, me sitting here uh, and I started this quarantine, you know, I, I was, I don't know if it was with the coronavirus, but I was ill. I couldn't move. Uh, and then in the recovery, I didn't have balance. I held my elbow. I was like bubble boy. My, my, my son was making fun of me. But from this seat right here, I could reach people across the world. And so the ability of technology, we, we can reach more. We can see more what's happening in other parts of the world. We've seen other countries that have uh, rebelled against former tyrannies. Um, you know, we're seeing change, or at least what we hope will look like change, the opportunity to hear one another. It's there. Um, there's also people in power that their ignorance and, and things like that are being flushed to the surface. Uh, I don't know if that creates change, but certainly in my home, it's creating more of a dialogue. Uh, are your kids... I mean, they must be asking questions. I mean, they see it on their news feed. Yeah, I mean, they're, the, the, we have conversations about it and we talk about it and we just, I think that's where it all starts. I think that crazy thing about this virus is it's allowed families to actually spend time together and kind of force some conversations and dialogue. And we try to have dinner every night and we have conversation. We talk about certain things. And without this virus, I think we would have so much noise happening that we wouldn't be able to do it. And it's just been like one of the best things that could have happened to us as a family. But I wish that everybody else saw it like that. I know that it's not, every family is not like my family. And I know that it's, it's tough out there for some people. But I think if you can have a genuine conversation with someone, you can start to peel back and see through their lens. Like, I'm sure you probably didn't know half of this stuff about me. And I know you didn't know half of this stuff about me because we've only really communicated via DM, via email. But now as we get a chance to have conversation, you look at me as like, I'm just like you. I'm a father, I'm a dad, I'm out here hustling, doing things. And I'm not a bad guy. I'm not what you might think you might see if you see me on the street. No, have a conversation with me. I'm, I'm actually, I have a college degree. I have beautiful wife. I have two boys. I live in a great house. I'm an up law abiding citizen. I pay my taxes. I'm not trying to hustle anybody. I'm just a, I'm just a man here on this planet for a certain amount of time. And then I'm out. So what do you think it'll take? I mean, for the people who, you know, and we've seen a lot about, uh, you know, the police officers and, and I don't know, uh, you know, 
if how racist they were and 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 we know that certainly their their lack of care compassion in the moments that really matter in valuing another person's life i mean how do you get them to see you as an individual how do they get to see beyond color how do we begin to like further this dialogue for people who were raised in such a backwards way and have held on to that i think it just it starts to First of all, they got to be open to having the conversation and having the dialogue. Second, they have to know that when certain minority groups ended up here and with the immigrants and everything, you can't think that your race is greater than another's race. Like it just, it doesn't work that way. We're all part of the human race. And that's what you can see that some people still feel that way. And as slaves, us being brought over here in 15 something, 14 something, whatever it was, and them feeling like they owned us and then drawing up laws that would keep us below them. And people still feeling like that is the way things need to be done, you know, like, this is our norm. This is what we need to know. This is our, this is how we need to operate. And so what I think is that I said it before, if like all this stuff and, and what's crazy is that Richard is that there's so many things that happen that you do some things you can get away with for a period of time, but most things after you just can't get away with nowadays with all these cameras and phones and TV. I mean, video, like it's just hard. So if cops or anybody wants to misbehave and act inappropriate or not accordingly, then not only should they be fired, but our tax dollars that help pay for their pension and help create a lifestyle for them that they'll never have to go out and earn a wage another type of way. I mean, they have that, that's at risk. That's, that should be at risk for their families. And it's not that all cops are bad, but you have to almost, you almost have to hurt people where it really counts and where it really matters. And a lot of people, the only thing that they know that almost is like their God is money. Yeah. And that's sad, but that's kind of the reality. And it's, you know, they can go to appeal, they can do all this, but, you know, you see all these guys who have been wrongly convicted in the judicial system. I just saw this guy on America's Got Talent not that long ago, or I think it was last week or the week before, who was in jail for 37 years for something that he didn't, a crime he didn't commit. And, you know, it was a rape, but what ends up happening is they have, in their mind, they just want to the system wants to convict somebody to help have the persona and to help ease the fear of the public. And that's, that's not fair. Yeah. And scapegoating. And, and, you know, when, when people want to see uh, somebody blamed for something and it, and it, rel- it relieves their anxiety, whether it be true or not. Um, and, and, you know, we know that there's been studies, right. The, the Zimbardo prison study where people put on the, guard uniform and how they behaved just because they had that authority 
um, and and normal people were like really shocked that they became abusive to the the prisoners or, or the people that were seen yeah. to be need to follow the rules. So a lot of this internal dialogue about what your role is as a police officer. I mean, you know, my my grandfather was a, a immigrant police lieutenant in New York City, and he just liked you know, to go around and tell jokes and talk to people because New York was this great boiling pot of immigrants, you know, who sometimes couldn't communicate based on language or culture. The neighborhoods overlap. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, I, I don't know how we get people to the table or to overcome this resistance, but I think you tapped into it. When there's a fear of losing your security, if you're not protected, uh, if you're also vulnerable, if you are going to hurt somebody that, that in a way you lose your own freedom, uh, you know, maybe this, this gets police departments to look a little bit differently around checking people who are, how they're behaving, how many incidents are getting uh, brought up, um, you know, how they police their own. Yeah, totally. And there was that one, there was, the crazy thing is, is there was an article that, was released the day of the government released an article uh, or maybe two or three days after usually they say an autopsy takes longer of george floyd and they said that he died from some like i don't know if he was like yeah, cataracts or cigarettes something like they made up some type of thing or theory form but george floyd's family hired their own external private, private examiner and I just got the thing on my phone today that he died from asphyxiation. So he died basically because his windpipe and was, he couldn't breathe, which is just like, and that, that's, that's part of the problem where you have the cover up, but it's just like when you just want to convict somebody to ease the fear of the persona of what's out there. Yeah, and I so mean, those all these instances, I mean, you know, just just the thought of, uh, you know, and with, with Ahmed, just the fact that being able to go out for a run, something as simple as that to, you know, in a quarantine in your own neighborhood to relieve stress, uh, the pain, like you said, your first answer was uh, the pain that this causes. Um, yeah, and the, and the lack of humanity. And, you know, we're kind of missing the opportunities. Like you said, the one thing that this you know, even though COVID has affected disproportionately, you know, minority, uh, you know, families, um, I believe those are the statistics. In, in some ways, I see it as this great equalizer because it shows you that, uh, you know, we knew ER doctors that, that from five days went from healthy to to no longer living. I mean, it, it really showed us the vulnerability uh, across our entire country and has hurt a lot of people economically. So we would hope that this would help us have more empathy for one another in springing forward this change, but it's also showed us some behaviors that still need to get rooted out. No, 100%, and that's, that's what we're here for, and that's what I wanna teach my boys. And, um, you know, Martin Luther King did a great job trying to fight for human rights and equality and everything, but, as you can see, they felt like he started to have too much power and he wasn't even the president, but he, he had a message. His message still lives on today. And I think it's part of our duty to continue the dialogue, you know? And it, to me, it's not a rape. It's like, I don't look at people as like, oh, that's, 
you're that race. I'm not going to talk to you. You're that race. I'm not going to talk to you. Like <laughs> we're all human beings. We all have, we're all here on this earth for a short period of time. You know, somebody's got to break the cycle because we don't own this planet. As you can see, none of us are really in control. Look at coronavirus, whatever it is. Some people say it's some mystic boogeyman, but for whatever reason, a lot of people have died from this boogeyman. And is it gonna go away? I have no idea. So on top of the coronavirus, you got protesters outside where they're really not supposed to be outside. People have been locked up for over 60 days in the house. <laughs> and it's like people are just like, my health, I don't care about, but I'm ready to go die for civil rights and for human rights and for justice. It shows you how far, yeah, yeah, the people have been pushed to a level of, uh, and it really goes to speak to sports, right? The outlet having something, some way to direct our energy. And maybe sometimes the the diversion keeps us from these important issues, but in other times it's given us an outlet. I know post 9-11 in New York having baseball, uh, you know, like it's given us somewhere to, you know, Olympics, right? Some way to vote for our team, for our country and put our energy, um, you know, Jesse Owens in the, in the, you know, running uh, either was that right immediately following World War II or, you know, right there while, while Adolf Hitler was right there. I mean, you know, tremendous times in history when um, beyond ignorance and, and hatred have been confronted by, uh, you know, athletes continuing to express and lead us forward. So I, I hope that we can get back to there, um, you know, soon. And I'm glad that, you know, you and your wife are still out there, uh, despite being quarantined, um, finding ways to, to lead young men and to encourage dialogue, discussion, and education. I think this is, you know, this is really where it's going to have to start for the next generation. I mean, I happen to be, uh, I know this has gotten overshadowed by these events, but I happen to be uh, on the sideline when um, a youth soccer game here in LA, right after Kobe Bryant, the news broke uh, that he had passed. And uh, this is like a bitter rivalry between Hollywood and, and South LA. And that moment, you know, like when it became about the young boys, about like, oh my God, we have to break the news about grief. We have yeah. to break the news about there's something bigger going on that you can't even fathom it was just as beautiful between the coaches, at least this beautiful moment of like, you know, like, okay, let's not tell them before the game. And here's how we're going to tell them afterwards. Like it was not the typical stare down pregame. It was like, there's, there's a bigger role here. Yeah, totally. That's good. That's that. I mean, and that's what we would hope that people in leadership would actually lead and do. And, you know, I heard governor Newsom talking today and a reporter asked him, so do you feel like you've been able to get, you've gotten the best leadership from the White House during this, all this time? <laughs> and he said, he said, I could go back and forth with the White House and talk about this and talk about that, but what good does that do me? He said, you can be a leader anywhere. Uh, if you look, he brought up Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, Martin Luther King was never president, but he led. There's teachers who lead, there's coaches who lead, there's people who are doing the work that lead. So you don't have, just because you have the title 
doesn't mean that you lead. And he's like, I'm not going to give in to tit for tat and letting, letting you guys drive this big wedge or drive this big story of this inferno that you want to create. He's like, I don't have time for that. That was really good. That was pretty powerful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just uh, along that line made me think of somebody shared on Instagram. I think uh, Abraham Lincoln, all his failures, you know, like the amount of times he, he went up to run and lost, you know, like yeah. pretty, pretty long string. I think he had one victory and 10 losses, but the, <laughs> he got the big one. So um, we're happy he kept going. And, um, you know, I'm inspired. The, the photo behind you, obviously, Jackie Robinson. I mean, star competitor and having to face every day, knowing. I mean, not that it could ever be justified, but knowing what he was going to be facing because he wanted to lead a generation forward. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, sports would not be the same without without his efforts. Um, but, Jerome, you, you're so thankful, you know, that you would give us your time today. But you are much more than an athlete and a father. You're also working on photography. Maybe just in closing, tell us what else you got going on and ways that anyone can uh, hit you up. I mean, I'm always – taking pictures and doing certain things. My wife has opened up a new uh, business called Army, which is a fitness, which is a spin boot camp workout facility. And so she's got so many, and she's also doing some stuff with Nike. And so I've been fortunate enough to kind of run the back end of her life. So that keeps me super duper busy. And at the same time, taking care of the boys. So you can always find me on Instagram. I'm always around. I'm kind of the guy that went from being in the forefront of winning gold medals and doing that stuff to now I'm kind of in the background and have no problem with it. I know my value. I know my worth. If I wanted to be out in front, I could, but I know that I have little ones that I need to take care of right now. So I don't, I don't search or seek for that as, as much as I would have if I didn't have kids. Well, yeah, and they're lucky to have you as a dad. And like you mentioned in the, you know, if anyone checks out on YouTube, uh, is it called Always Have a Plan B, the, uh, yeah. the video? Uh, you know, like you said, when you're an athlete, you're always in the front. You always have to, like you said, compete and be the best, especially in track where so much, I mean, I, you did run uh, for a team, but you're running individually. It's nice to be able to transition in other parts of your life where it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Totally, 100%. And I, I'm grateful that you took the time to, that we actually got this on the books. And um... <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you again. Well, that was a real treat, ladies and gentlemen. Jerome Davis, former gold medalist, USC, you know, alumni, and just an all-around gentleman, father, and husband supporting his wife, Angela Davis, who's now the founder of ARMY. A-A-R-M-Y. Look for them on Instagram TV uh, for workouts uh, until physical location can open back up here. And of course, Angela uh, connected with Nike commercials and uh, also an athlete extraordinaire in her own right. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, I'm Richard Listens. We thank you for being present for us and covering this sensitive time in Los Angeles history. We hope that by sharing stories of leaders that we represent your voice and begin to cover all aspects of sport, race, culture, and society. Thank you again. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or know anyone who could be a great contributor to our broadcast, please send them to me on Instagram via direct message at Richard Listens. I'm Richard Listens. Thank you, everybody. And I'm out. 
I'm a big fan of MMA sports. It's rough and elegant at the same time. I think my number one fear of stepping into a ring like that would be protecting my teeth. Luckily, the guys over at Impact Dental Designs have created an amazing mouth guard that is state of the art. These mouth guards are currently being used by some of the best MMA fighters, but even better, they can be tailored to any sport. Football, hockey, boxing, soccer, the list is endless. Head over to impactdentaldesigns.com slash richardlistens to get 20% off your order and a free customized design for your mouth guard. Lastly, I'd like to proudly mention our sponsor, Injitsu.com, providing remote at-home training from some of the world's top MMA fighters. These classes are not pre-recorded. These trainers come to you live and coach you for the duration of the session. I've personally taken a few of these classes and I've never felt so inspired and accomplished in a workout session. They'll leave you both on the floor in exhaustion and with a drenched shirt. There are still slots available for online classes, so head over to injitsu.com slash richardlistens to get your first class free. That's I-N-J-I-T-S-U dot com slash richardlistens. Take care, everyone.